Welcome back to Cairo Nights. You know, we got a affordable housing problem in this town. No big mystery there. In the state. Governor Inslee said it was his top priority in the new legislative session. By the way, Matt Markovich will be with us at 9 o'clock tonight talking about some of the issues uh, that the state legislature is trying to deal with this term and trying to come up with a solution for. So many topics to run by Matt. Um, plus, we have a chance to look in, look behind the curtain at some of his uh, some of his poor life decisions. Let's put it that way. You know, that's nice when he's willing to come on and, and talk a little bit about some of the bad choices he's made in his life. I mean, who wouldn't want to get that, right? When people talk homelessness or those experiencing homelessness, the instinct to ask what went wrong, what tragedy befell these people, what bad choices did they make, was it drugs or alcohol, what prevented them from getting a nice high-paying job, why they have more children than they could afford, why didn't they make rent, identifying personal failures or specific tragedies helps those of us who have homes feel less precarious. If homelessness is about personal failure, it's easier to dismiss it as something that could never happen to us. And harsh treatment is easier to rationalize towards those people who experience homelessness. But when you zoom out, determining individual expectations for America's homelessness crisis gets, gets a little murky. Sure, some individual choices play a role. But there are so many more homeless people in California than, and, than Texas. Why is that? Why are rates for homelessness so much higher in New York than in West Virginia? To explain the interplay between structural and individual causes of homelessness, some who studied this issue use the analogy of children playing musical chairs. As the game begins, first kid who becomes chairless has a bum ankle, right? The next few kids are just too anxious to play the game effectively. A few more are smaller than the bigger kids. By the end, it's a fast, large, confident kid sitting in the last available chair. You can say that disability or lack of physical strength caused the individual kids to come up chairless. But in this scenario, chairlessness itself is an inevitability. The only reason anyone is without a chair is because there aren't enough chairs. It's kind of the same thing with being homeless. There's just not enough housing opportunities. Makes sense, right? It's It's not of the fault of those who are homeless. In some cases, of course, personal choices have led to the situations people find themselves in. A lot of the times it's mental health. You know, city of Seattle is proposing legislation right now to make RVs homesteads. Homesteads where people, the the RV people are living in. Make it a homestead, which means it couldn't be towed. Now that's, it's an interesting concept. Creates as many problems as it solves, I think. You know, obviously we need more affordable housing. But when folks uh, are doing the best they can in a tough situation, and maybe it is, you know, the fact that rents have gone bananas in our town, that worker pay hasn't kept up with inflation, not just in the last year, in the last decade or more. You know, wage increases have been hard to come by. If you are living in an RV 
in Seattle, inside a camper. If the Washington State Housing Commission decides that those are homesteads and can't be towed, that may help to a small degree those experiencing homelessness, those that are living in an RV. It makes it tougher for the communities those RVs settle in. Makes it tougher to have uh, your business or your community be the place that you want to live in or do business in, maybe even the ability to do business. There's talk of a an RV park, a place where people who are living in RVs can park those RVs on a semi-permanent basis, places that are safe, clean, that have some services available to them. But we haven't had that yet. The, the goal was there was an RV lot. The King County Regional Homelessness Authority initiated an agreement to create a parking lot for homeless individuals living in RVs. The goal was to have that lot ready by this winter, but it's, it's not there yet. Funding for that project isn't going to be released until they have started to put that project together. It's kind of a chasing, dog chasing its tail moment there. You know, if you are going to live in an RV... And I know we've got listeners to the show. We've got texters to the show who find themselves in this situation. And these aren't bad folks. These are folks that are on hard times. I totally understand. But that being said, if you are forced to make a camper your home, it needs to be some place that's not, not you know, <laughs> Making life for everybody else harder. You know, increasing crime and pollution. And uh, I got to say, most of the times I see folks living in RVs. I see camper RVs. Folks really aren't being very responsible neighbors. There is often uh, just a, a trash piles and collections of, you know, the, the things that the homeless people experiencing homelessness Tend to collect. I don't know why. I don't know what that is. What causes that? I don't know what makes the, the the people experiencing homelessness gather all the things they find and keep them in their camp. <clears throat> Maybe it's no more than the rest of us have. We just have homes to hide all that stuff in. You know, if if the city can come up with a plan to make RVs homesteads then they have to have a place for all those RVs to be safely safely stored to make them uh, an RV park. They, I don't think they can just be on the streets. You can't put up those eco blocks anymore. Those are illegal to put up. A lot of communities have put up those big concrete blocks to keep folks from parking their RVs on a permanent, semi-permanent basis in their neighborhood. I see them up on Aurora Avenue, just, uh, just off Aurora, a block off Aurora. There was a place up near about 125th, I want to say. And there was a constant community of RVs. And now they've put up those eco blocks, ecology blocks, to make, keep that from happening again. But without a permit, you can't put those. You, the, the neighbors, the businesses can't block those areas themselves. It's a situation where you feel like you've got to take the law into your own hands because the city doesn't have the resources to make sure that these 
RVs aren't squatting in your neighborhood, camped in front of your businesses. I see, I see RVs in the Ballard area that are just parked permanently right in front of homes, right in front of businesses. If I'm a taxpayer in that neighborhood, I don't want an RV in front of my house. Not on a permanent basis. And if they make them homesteads, you can't tow them. I mean, what does that make sense? What if I want to live in a nice neighborhood I can't afford? Can I, shouldn't I just get an RV and park it in front of Bill Gates' house? Right? Get that view that way? It's a homestead. You can't tow it. Of course you wouldn't be able to do that. He doesn't want that in his backyard. Right. Or his front yard. <laughs> right. You know, why, you know, why don't I just you know buy a house and put it on wheels? And that's basically what an RV is. And put it wherever the heck I want. Put it in a state park. Put it in, you know, the nicest public street with the nicest view in Seattle. I'll go up the top of uh, Queen Anne Hill and drop my RV right there at Cary Park. The most picturesque view of the city ever. I think it was the view Frazier had from his apartment window in fictitious Frazier's apartment, right? That was the view from Cary Hill. We can't let, I, I understand that we're trying to find a compassionate way to make sure that those of us who are struggling can have a, a, some sense of dignity and safety. And wouldn't this also lead to the phenomenon, like let's say you create a place, like an RV park for these RVs. Mm-hmm. Let's say you create that place. Doesn't that mean that any clever person looking to pinch pennies and make their dollar go further could buy a cheap RV and basically get a free place to park it? Sure. Oh, you mean not live in it, you mean? Or live in it, but... Just the idea that you're getting something for free by virtue of doing something that is inconvenient. Interesting interesting twist on it. Because there are people out there who will exploit any charitable plan or ideal. Yeah, but that, you know, I, I don't think that those folks who would, who would exploit the system, that's not reason enough to not put this plan in place. It would help the vast majority of the people it's intended to help. I mean, there, there are lots of places in this city that are open spaces, and maybe not as many as I think there might be, that you could put dozens of RVs, you know, that would keep them off the streets of various neighborhoods, out of communities where they can become a, a health or safety hazard. And I don't, I, again, man, I, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to generalize RVs, but it seems to me I, I don't see many that are responsible neighbors. I know that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say about someone living in an RV, but if you find yourself forced, those are the circumstances that you're in. Keep your area neat and clean. In a lot of cases, people who don't know what they're doing, these are dangerous. The electrical systems aren't hooked up. There's waste disposal issues. Where are they going to dump the waste from the chemical toilets? There's a lot of attendant issues with people just using RVs like that. You know, uh, well, I mentioned Jason Rance earlier, and he's got a story about this on MyNorthwest.com, and he speaks to State Senator Philip Fortunato of Auburn. He made that exact point. If I'm a business owner and I just dump my storm, you know, I, if someone you know, urinates or, or even worse on the sidewalk and I just go out and hose it off, Department of Ecology will give you a ticket for stormwater violations, but an RV gets to do that. With no, and no one raises an eyebrow. They talk about how there's like a set of, there's rules for those of us who follow the rules and those folks who are experiencing homelessness, 
is they say the city really doesn't seem to, to care that they break the law. Right. And as compassionate as I am for people undergoing that, it does create a dilemma, because if you do this, it's basically saying, all right, you broke the law. Now we're going to reward you. But let me ask you about that for a second. I, I read that piece in the article on, on MyNorthwest.com, and, and the city's not going after those folks. It's not because they don't care that they're breaking the law. It's because they know going after them will do no good. They have no ability to pay a fine. They have no ability to, you know, to go to court. Or all. Why do you find someone to keep them from doing something? If someone doesn't have any money, it's like getting blood from a rock. You know, it's, and I know that seems to create a double standard for those of us who follow the rules. It's just like gun laws. You know, gun laws affect law-abiding citizens, not criminals who have illegal guns. And well, that means we, doesn't mean we don't need gun laws. It doesn't mean we don't need the laws about stormwater runoff. Senator Fortunato, you know, I, I guess the the solution here is a better system of support for those experiencing homelessness, a better system of support for those trying to make uh, ends meet in a city that has priced most of its citizens out of town. You know, we can't have it both ways. You either have to supply a city with an, a, a workforce that can earn enough to live in the city you need them in, or you have to have a system of support to help them if they can't earn the money themselves. You can't have it both ways. I am, am blessed that I've never never been homeless. I've never experienced homelessness. You know, and I know I know I'm a, a paycheck, I'm I'm one major catastrophe away. I get it. You know, I'm, I'm very lucky. Just keep your head down and keep working. But that's not enough for some folks. Keeping your head down and keep working is not enough for some folks to make ends meet. And they've got to, you know, live in a car. I was amazed to hear how many children in this state experience homelessness. How many children are, you know, staying with friends while their folks are sleeping in a car. Those kind of things. It's a horrible situation. Maybe maybe we do need rent control in this town. You know, losing all these high tech jobs is horrible, but maybe it'll help at least take the the rise out of rent prices in town yeah, for a while. But I'm skeptical on that because the people living in these RVs are not people who just got fired from Microsoft. Those people have no, tons no. of options. True, true. Those folks do have options. You're right. Absolutely. These are these you're are you're the dealing far with mental end. illness. You're dealing with hardcore addiction. Until you house and treat these people, they're not going to be renters. They're not going to be in a situation where they can maintain rent or their property. What? What? Would, and I know we're just guest balling here. We're speculating. What percentage of homelessness? Those experiencing homelessness? Do you think? Are suffering from addiction, a drug or alcohol? Do we have any? Do you, do you? If you had to guess, I'm just asking you for your opinion. I would guess at least sixty percent. Mm. A, a, a texture agrees with you completely, Matt. Completely. Um, and you know, you're probably right. I would venture to guess if I had to make an educated guess on it, most of the folks that are on the street or living in, you know experiencing homelessness, even living in RVs. But like that article said, you know, it's easy to say 
that uh, it's it's because of personal choices they've made, bad bad decisions they've made, or bad luck they've had, or addiction. It makes it easy for us to to kind of dismiss them out of hand. I know it's not what you're doing. I know you're not dismissing folks who are experiencing addiction or alcoholism. No, I'm saying get them get help. Get them help. I, yeah, I know I'm you saying are. rent control, that'll help working class people who struggle to live in Seattle, but it won't solve this problem at all. And But I think we've talked about, you're right, but I think we've mentioned before too, there isn't one solution to this. And all these different elements probably need to come to bear or the problem's not going to get solved. It's like, you know, you need four legs to make a bar stool. And it's also going to take a heck of a lot of money, and we all know how that goes. Well, we've been throwing money at the problem, or we just maybe need to throw it at the different elements of the problem. Make sure that uh, substance abuse treatment is a part of the solution, along with affordable housing, along with the sure living wage. to solutions and not just organizations who perpetuate the concern without actually so- showing results. Absolutely. You know, we got Matt Markovich coming on tonight at 9 o'clock, and I know that state housing is one of the big issues, affordable housing, one of the big issues for the state. Maybe we can touch on that briefly with him. He's going to give us kind of a review of what's going on at Olympia. There's a lot of different stuff down there, but I'd like to know what the latest is. It's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler, and we'll be right back. Spike O'Neill, that's Matt Butler, the exceptional musical taste, my friend. The great boss gags. You know, I've been, uh, I've been doing a lot of, I spent a lot of time on my Northwest lately. Uh, uh, shout out to Frank Summerall, who's going to be joining us, I think, on Thursday night this week. Thursday night. Yes. Talk about the uh, upcoming Oscar nominations that are out and uh, all things entertainment. Frank is the, uh, I don't know if, He's a curator of most of the things we find on MyNorthwest.com. Contributors from across the uh, the spectrum here at the station and KTTH all give their points of view and their stories on MyNorthwest.com. And I, I mentioned that I relied on a piece from Jason Rance uh, when we're talking about the, the legislative efforts to make RVs homesteads to help Seattle's homeless population. Jason's take on it was it would cause... Uh, more problems than it would solve. And he, he may be right about that. Uh, but there's also a piece on My Northwest uh, from Dave Ross about fin- Finland's solution uh, to homelessness and uh, their affordable housing strategy and how it could work here too. So if, if we're talking about those experiencing homelessness and its impact on the city, and we'd love to have your views, the Cairo uh, text line is 888-973-5476. Uh, folks agreed with you, Matt, that um, mental illness and mental health care would go a long way. Mental illness being a, a main contributing factor to the homeless uh, situation in Seattle, to those experiencing homelessness. And until we put some resources toward that, some genuine effort toward that, no other solution is going to hit, going to work. Dave Ross wrote this piece, and I'm going to just read directly from it because it's Dave Ross and I could try, but <laughs> we all know. 
This week, Colleen and I talked to one of the people who organized Finland's successful campaign to get homeless people off the streets. His name is Juha Kahila. He lives in Helsinki, and he wanted to know how Finland did it. So he told us. We got rid of the shelters. This was his guest speaking. And we renovated the shelters into housing first units where people have apartments of their own. And then we tried to get rid of almost all the temporary solutions. And we built more affordable housing where people could have a home of their own for a limited time. They realized that the free market would never solve the problem because you can't make a profit building low-income housing and providing support services to the residents, so his foundation used tax money to do it. Here, of course, we believe in the magic of the free market. This is Dave Ross, of course. Except we really don't. I hear people say, let's unleash the energy of the free market and we'll be swamped with housing. Yet those same people want to keep zoning rules in place. Well, how's a single-family zoning a free market? It's not. It's the ultimate in government control. Earlier this month, a group called Challenge Seattle, backed by local employers, issued a very specific plan for ending homelessness. At the heart of it is upzoning. The report notes that 70% of the residential land in Bellevue and Seattle is zoned single family. On Marshall Island, it's 90%. 90% of the land is residential single housing zoned. The report says that the state should preempt zoning local zoning rules, whether neighbors want it or not. And Dave said, I asked our Finland guest about that about how they managed to build all that low-income housing near middle-class neighborhoods. He admitted that not every neighborhood was happy, but that Finland's history played a role in helping people accept it. And this is the guest. I believe, I think the history of Finland helps a little bit because back in World War II, we lost a lot of land to Russia. We needed to house 400,000 people who were left on the wrong side of the border. So I think we have that mentality. Everyone deserves a home of their own. In Finland, we have the mentality that everyone deserves a home of their own. Is there anyone here who feels that way? Uh, This is Dave Ross. My impression is that in America, our mindset is if you're homeless, if you're living under a bridge or a tent or a beat-up RV, you must have done something to deserve it. And now that is backed by the article we read from Atlantic. If you can't feed your kids, well, you shouldn't have had kids. You need to take personal responsibility. I've heard that line on talk shows for years. It's been their theme song, personal responsibility, free market solutions, but don't change our zoning. Well, I would say that we're living in a free market solution right now. Free market says, if you can't afford rent, you live in a tent. If you can't pay, they throw you away. Whereas in Finland, the attitude is, we share an 830-mile border with a country that tried to exterminate us. We can't afford to lose a single citizen, rich or poor. Now, that's a great piece. It's on MyNorthwest.com along with the interview Dave and Colleen had with their guest from Helsinki. But I think that encompasses what we had talked about, Matt, is that there are so many facets to the situation we find our city in. And there is no one solution. It's going to take a little bit of everything to get this done. It's going to take, you know, more housing units being built where there used to be just single-family homes. Rezoning, You know, we moved off of Queen Anne, my wife and I, our family with our daughters. When they rezoned our particular swath of West Queen Anne, high-density multifamily, we hated it. Didn't want to live in a neighborhood that had a townhouse, like, right across the alley from my home. You know, apartment buildings living in, in every alley had an apartment building built into their backyards. But that's the only way out of this, is to have more more density. Every time a house goes down in Seattle, six houses are built on that lot. 
Every time a two-story building is dropped, a six-story building goes up in its place. You know, retail on the ground floor and four or five stories of, of apartment living above it or condo living above it. Remember where the Denny's was in Ballard, 15th and Market? Well, now there's a burger joint right at the, at the street level along with a drugstore. And above it, five, six stories of residency. Same thing across the street. Used to be a bowling alley there. It was a gas station and a bowling alley and a Burger King, I think it was. Now there's a Target and a medical building and massive amounts of housing. That's the only way to do this is to rezone. And like they said uh, on the Dave Ross show with, with their guest from, from Finland, from Helsinki, Jua Kahila. Some neighbors aren't going to like it. But the, the idea that we are all in this together and everyone deserves a home. That's the only way out of this. Couple that with a solid plan to, you know, uh, take care of the citizens of the city who need services like mental health services, addiction recovery services. You know, adequate police, adequate policing so that the crime, a texter points out that maybe the idea is to give away free drugs to these communities of homeless because that way at least they'll stop stealing and supplying their drug habits that way. And, you know, that's a, that's a socialist solution if you ever heard one. And doesn't mean it's the, it's the worst idea ever. You know, there are, there are countries that have decriminalized drugs and the drug problems seem to have eased, lessened because of that. At least the crime problems do. You know, if, if folks are trying to kick their addictions, th- it takes time. You know, drug drug problems and addiction problems equal crime problems. And people bring up the tax rate in Finland, but I would argue that you could make the argument that they get more for their tax dollars than we do. If you put the money into things like health care, housing, and treatment, then you don't pay the cost down the road of the crime, the defacement, the lack of uh, people desiring to go downtown because of the homelessness problem, because of the addiction issues. So if you invest up front and spread it in a reasonable way through the tax brackets, then you actually come out ahead when compared with the societal cost of continuing to allow these problems to fester. Uh, I I agree. The question then is, are are we as Americans ever going to have a time where our tax dollars are spent where we want them to be spent? Because we have a (laughs) we have an industrial military complex that eats up so much of our budget. And until that until that is addressed, we we can't. I mean, you're right. Other countries that have tax rates in the 40, 50 percent, they come with free college, free medical. You know, the kind of problems that we wish we, 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 we didn't have. Because it's a strategy of long-term investment. Yes. In civilization, in their society. And, that, and that's kind of a, that's, that kind of goes against the whole American do-it-yourself. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, self reliance. Well, it's pretty crappily, to be honest with you. For, for, for some of us, that's the thing. Are we a society that says, I got mine, you get yours, and we leave those left behind, like, in the dust, and we don't care about them? Is that a, is that a great American trait, to not care for our neighbors? I don't think it is. 
I think, you know, a great country is, you judge a great country by how they treat the least amongst them. You know, how we treat our those those American citizens, our neighbors, our friends, our family who need help. Do we help them or do we let them suffer? Do we leave them to their own devices and then ridicule them for not having the, the wherewithal to pull themselves up? That's not great. Skyward Knights, Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler. Just our two cents. Oh, tax man. Just our dollar or one cent, 1.4 cents. Got to factor in that inflation. You do. And the tax bond. Right back. Spike Neal along with Matt Butler. You know, homelessness is not a Seattle problem. It's a global problem. We talked a bit about how, uh, how they're dealing with it in Finland. Ireland's doing the exact same thing. You know, they're eliminating uh, the short-term solutions. They're investing federal dollars into affordable housing and uh, treatment programs, into uh, worker training programs to make sure that they are... Like Matt said, you know, you either pay me now or pay me later. How much are we spending on the back end in the way of crime and the cost of crime, in the way of health care and the, the cost of caring for people who have fallen through the cracks of the system? We're spending all that money for in different buckets, whereas if we just took all the money and collectively put, invested it up front into caring for our citizens, making sure everybody has the tools needed to become a productive member of society. You know, and we, we understand that mental illness and addiction is a huge part of this problem. So that's need to be one of the things that is not missed out on solving the problem. Nobody decides to become an addict. Nobody decides, makes a conscious decision to, to be homeless. I'm sure there is a percentage of addicts and, and, and alcoholics who started, I bet all of them who, who are in trouble started out without the intent of becoming an addict. I think psychologically, a lot of the recreational users that we don't talk about are actually the people with pretty high-paying jobs. They have a, a conduit to pure product. They manage their addictions or their habits or their vices. And as a recreational thing, when you have a lot of money, sometimes you're inclined to think that partying with drugs is a fun thing to do on the weekend. But those are the people that are those. I don't think we think of people who are well off as being drug users. And I think that's part of this picture. We stereotype who actually uses drugs. And I think people need need to remember that addiction is a disease. Alcoholism is a disease. Those of you who are lucky enough to have good jobs and do drugs recreationally or drink recreationally and maintain your good job. You were lucky enough to be born without the disease of addiction in your brain. It's literally a medical situation. It's not a character flaw in, in the vast majority of cases. Of course, there are always exceptions and outliers to every situation. You can find an example to prove any other argument. Sure. Play with statistics long enough. You can find any answer you want. Most addicts and alcoholics have a chemical imbalance in their brain, making them more prone to addiction. Often heredity is a main factor in this doesn't make them less of a person or more 
or less moral than you. It just means that they were unfortunate enough to mess around with fire when their brain was highly flammable. I once watched one of the uh, documentaries about drugs and the drug trade, and one of the interesting things was that in Silicon Valley, there are elite drug dealers who will cater to the needs and specific desires of wealthy people who want to do drugs, highly paid people who want to do drugs. And a factor in that, too, is the purity of the supply. Mm, There are fewer tragedies and problems because they know what they're getting. These people on the streets don't. And then that's where fentanyl comes in because it's cheaper and more powerful. And folks who are living on the streets or uh, addicts who are not not lucky enough to have pure suppliers and pure supply, they're forced to go to the to the worst worst possible option. We can talk about when we come back. I know that um, Matt Markovich is going to join us at the top of the hour at nine o'clock. Talk a bit about Olympia and what's going on in Olympia. There was a recent study that Matt found, and we haven't gotten to it yet, but we can get that this hour about uh, fentanyl and where it's really coming from in this country. And it might not be where you think, because it's not where you're being told it's coming from. I promise you that. And I, we have we have facts to back this up. It's Kyra Knight from Spike Neal along with Matt Butler. We'll be right back.